Tonight I would like, uh, we want to look at Lamentations 2. <clears throat> and I thought it would be good for us to look at this in light of what we find Habakkuk going through. And uh, this morning we saw the, at least the wisdom, I think, of Habakkuk when he was perplexed. And by the way, the complaints of Habakkuk were not against God. He's not speaking against God, but he is speaking to God and bringing his concerns, his complaints to him. Um, but he's not charging God, if you will. He, well, he, he does say, you know, why aren't you doing something? But uh, I was listening to Alistair Begg, and he made the distinction between grumbling and then also uh, groaning. Um, grumbling like the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. They were grumbling against God. But groaning is groaning and feeling the pains and the suffering in this world and coming to God uh, with our prayers, with our concerns. And so there's a difference between groaning and, and grumbling. And so he's a man that's groaning as he senses and feels the weight of the sin of Judah and their waywardness and their apostasy and his great concern for them. And why isn't God doing something? And of course, God says, I am doing something, but it's going to be hard for you to stomach this. What I'm going to do is bring in the Babylonians and they're going to bring judgment upon them. And so Jeremiah is living right in the midst of this. But Habakkuk goes to his watchtower. It is there that he wants to wait and to hear from the Lord what he has to say to him. And he says, and I will answer when I am corrected. I know I don't see everything correctly. And Lord, you will help me. So I go to my watchtower to, to humbly wait upon the Lord. And the Lord tells him to write this vision down, what he's going to tell him. And uh, he says in verse 3, this vision is yet for an appointed time. It's coming. I'm raising up the, Gal the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. I'm raising them up. And there is an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak. And it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And so there's the need for patience, faith and trust in God and what he's doing, that he is the sovereign Lord, but also that there is the, the need for patience. God is going to fulfill his purposes. He's going to bring judgment on his people, but then he's going to bring them back to the land. He's going to continue to fulfill his purposes to bring forth the Redeemer, the promised seed that will bring blessing to all the nations. And one day, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so Jeremiah is living in the midst of this. And for him in chapter 3 here, it's kind of like the bottom falls out for him. He's in a very dark, dark, hard place. Maybe we've been there before. Um, and there's this critical turning point in uh, verse 20. My soul still remembers it sinks within me, and this I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. This is what, this is what Habakkuk did. He begins to recite the things that he knows about his God, that he is holy, he's everlasting, he is pure, and uh, he will accomplish his purposes. And so this is, where, this is where Jeremiah at this time is climbing back on the rock of who God is and his character. 
And the several things that he mentions in verses 22 through 24 that gives him hope um, is that the Lord's mercies, it's because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. And the Lord's unfailing compassion that his mercies, they're, they're new every morning. I've always loved this statement by Richard Sibbs. He says, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. There's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. And then he talks about God's faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And then this wonderful statement that we find many places in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I hope in him. In the gospel, God gives himself to us. This is the great, the great treasure of the gospel. We, have, we receive many things, but in the gospel, God gives himself to us. He is the chief portion of our inheritance. Now, as we look here, and he speaks about this hope that he's going to see afresh and anew, he goes on in verse 25 to say, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And just as Habakkuk realized and was called to wait, you know, even though it tarries, what God has said he's going to do, it's going to come to pass. You need to wait. You need to be patient. So uh, Jeremiah uh, makes this same statement, the Lord's good to those who wait for him. This is an important theme that we find in the Bible, to wait patiently upon the Lord. And this is closely tied to this hope, this hope that we have, these promises that we have in God. We are called to wait. Waiting is not easy for us, is it? Waiting is, is hard especially in the age in which we are living. We, we want things right now, right now. And we are called as believers to trust the Lord and his promise, his faithfulness, and we are called to wait upon the Lord. And so we want to talk about that tonight. This waiting upon the Lord is closely tied to this hope that we have. So we have many promises that God has given to us. They're not yet ours. They're not in our hands yet. And so by faith, we are waiting and hoping and trusting in the Lord. But waiting in the biblical sense is vitally important to this. Um, it's an important biblical truth to wait, even though that's hard for us. This is what we are called to do. We have many examples in the scriptures of this. One of the Psalms is Psalm 37, verse 7. Don't fret because of evildoers, trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to him. And then he says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. We see evildoers all around us. And the psalmist says, don't fret because of them. Do good. Do what is right. Delight in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So why is this so important, just like Habakkuk going up on his watchtower to hear from the Lord. 
Well, he tells us in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait and hope, uh, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, the promises of God, what he is going to accomplish, what he has promised to us. And so waiting for what God has promised is vitally important. So we often have promise, and then there is the promise unfulfilled. It is yet still future. We haven't seen the fulfillment of many of the promises given to us, and there's often an extended period of time between promise and fulfillment. And it is in this time frame that we are called to wait patiently upon the Lord in faith, not to be disheartened. And we see many places where this was true for the people of God. Remember the children of Israel were, or the people of Judah were taken into captivity and they were there for 70 years. There's the promise that they were going to be brought back to their land. But they had to wait patiently during that time. Um, there was the promise of the seed that would come uh, to Abraham, the seed of David, uh, the promised uh, deliverer, Messiah. And there were many, many years between the promise and the fulfillment. You remember Simeon. We are told, well, he was in Jerusalem and the baby is brought to him, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that Simeon was a just and a devout man waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here it is. We've been waiting, longing for this promised seed. And then remember the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. How many years were they there? 430 years in, in, in Egypt. And uh, they are crying out to the Lord, aren't they? And they were, they were waiting. They were waiting. And God had promised in Genesis that he would bring them back to the land. But there was a long period of waiting. We're waiting now, aren't we, for Christ to come again. We live on this side of the first advent, but we, are, we know that he's coming again, and we're awaiting that. So Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says that you have turned to God from idols to serve, <clears throat> to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's us. We're living between the already of the first coming and the not yet of his second coming, and during this period, we are called to wait quietly, patiently upon the Lord, resting in his promise, even as Lamentations tells us here. God is good to those who wait upon him. And so we also read in Romans 8 that we are groaning in these bodies, aren't we? We're groaning in these bodies as believers, and we are waiting for the redemption of these bodies. We don't have that yet, do we? But we are groaning, and, and we do this waiting upon the Lord. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And so as we groan in these bodies, we groan in hope, I hope. We groan in hope. We groan in faith, knowing that there's a new day coming when Christ will make all things new. And so we, even as we groan in the, these bodies, we, we groan in hope. So hope is something that is anticipated, that has been promised by God. It's not just wishful thinking. 
Many of the promises that God has given to us, again, they're based upon historic redemptive events of the gospel, God's word that he has given to us. There are things that we, many things that we do not yet have. And so we are called to wait upon the Lord. He will make good. And therefore, hope is an important part of our Christian life, but waiting in faith is also an important aspect of that. So as we live in this fallen world that there's often affliction and tears, we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, we can be prone to despair. We can be led to have the dark night of the soul. And so we need to remind ourselves again and again of the gospel, of God's compassions, that he is our portion, the rekindling of the hope and the promises of God that are yes and amen in Jesus and all the while maintaining this hope by waiting upon the Lord. Now, what's the nature of waiting in the Bible, in the biblical sense, waiting upon the Lord? Well, this is not passivity. Um, It's not inactivity. It's not like being in a waiting room for waiting to see the doctor, which often can be a long wait. I remember taking our kids to the doctors, and we'd be waiting in the waiting room. There was an aquarium there. There were airplanes hanging from the ceiling. There were puzzles and games to play with to kind of bide your time and to distract you from the fact that you're waiting a long time. And, and when the Bible talks about waiting, it's not this idea of just being distracted and preoccupied with other things and, and just uh, waiting being a passive thing or something that we really don't think much about. Waiting biblically is it's something that is active. It involves the heart and the mind that is focused upon the promises of God. Wilson, in his Old Testament uh, word studies, um, speaks about this word, this Hebrew word, wait. And it means to hope strongly, to trust, implying a firmness and a constancy of mind. It's to hope that a thing will be effected and to wait steadily and patiently till it is effected. So it's this idea of a a long waiting patience and waiting for something to be accomplished. Um, Another commentator says that it's during this time it's becoming wound together with the object of the waiting, waiting in these promises that God has given to us. We do look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And uh, so we are waiting and expecting and anticipating that day, even though we live yet in this fallen world. So waiting is very closely aligned with faith, as is is suggested by that. David said, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope. So this waiting is involved with the promises of God and what he has revealed. It's in his word that my hope rests. So I'm trusting in the promises that he has given to me. It's waiting for him to do what he has promised to do for us. And that can be a whole spectrum of things as we think about our Christian walk. But it's trusting and hoping in him between the time of promise and the time of fulfillment over the long haul. 
Um, so the idea of a, of, of a persevering trust and confidence in God, his promises over a long period of time, however long that may be, to trust and rest in him. In Isaiah eight seventeen, it says this, I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Even though God has hidden his face from the house of Jacob, and there were dark times, yet I'll wait upon the Lord, and I will look for him. I will trust him to know that he will do what he has promised. Psalm 62, 5, my soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. You remember what the, the name of Habakkuk means, the Hebrew word Habakkuk means to embrace, to cling to. And I think this is the idea of what it means to wait upon the Lord. Lord, I'm clinging to you. I'm trusting in you. And even though the days are dark and I'm not seeing maybe the fulfillment of promises that you've made yet. I'm clinging to you, trusting and hoping and waiting upon you. And notice here it says that in verse Lamentations 3, um, he says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Um, then verse 26, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly. Wow. Not only to wait, but to wait quietly. Um, to, and I think that expresses a humble and a trustful uh, heart towards God, to be patient, to be peaceful rather than complaining, rather than being agitated, being distraught, that there is a, a quiet restfulness and waiting upon the Lord. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 131. I love this psalm, and it's a, a beautiful picture, and uh, it's a good chapter for this Mother's Day as we think about Mother's Day. Psalm 131. Here is a call of simple trust in the Lord. This is a psalm of David. It's a psalm that they would read as they would make their way to go to Jerusalem for the various feasts. David writes, and he says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Notice the picture that is given here. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. What a beautiful picture there of a child that is weaned, that is now content and quiet, sitting upon his mother's lap and uh, just enjoying the mother's presence. And David said, this is what I have done. I've calmed and I have quieted my soul. Again, this is something that we have to fight for, don't we, in our Christian life? This quiet waiting upon the Lord and resting in him and trusting in him and who he is and his promises that have given, he has given to us. And uh, sometimes that is hard for us, but it is vitally important for us. 
And so we have to be on our guard because time tends towards impatience, doesn't it? When things don't happen as soon as we would like. I mean, that's what Habakkuk was wanting, God to do something right now. And uh, time often leads to impatience and doubt and unbelief and then to despair. But here, as we come to understand the call that is to wait quietly upon the Lord, his purposes, his plan, his timing, being able to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, I trust you. And uh, so in those times where we are, we are prone to be that way, may God give us grace that we may seek to walk in faith and hope. So the promise that is given that those who wait upon the Lord, they will see his salvation, his deliverance, his care uh, for them, and they will not be disappointed. Just some application in closing tonight. We're all together in this. Uh, we're all in this together, aren't we? We all struggle with this, and we're all fighting the same fight. Um, and this was the case for God's people through all the ages, be, living between promise and fulfillment uh, to a lesser or greater degree. Uh, we're told in Hebrews 11 of the patriarchs, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And uh, so they were living in faith, trusting in the Lord and his promises. Moses refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh and chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. So all God's people waiting for the final consummation of their salvation, and it's true for all of us. And we wait and we wait in hope. Secondly, if we are to hope and wait on the Lord, we must know him intimately. Psalm 9 and verse 10 says, those who know your name, they will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who trust in you. If we are to wait and to be patient, we really must know who God is. It's kind of like a babysitter. If you have a young child and you're looking for a babysitter, you don't just pick anybody off the street. You want to know who they are. You want to know something about them before you will entrust your child to them. And so it is we will not entrust ourselves to the Lord unless we really know him and who he is. And so as we come to know him and draw close to him and have a more intimate knowledge of him, then we are able to wait and trust in him. And then, weary saints, there is nowhere else to go, is there? Think of John or G John 6, where Jesus has people that are leaving him. They don't like what he's teaching. And he says to his disciples, are you also going to leave? What, is, what does Peter say? Where are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? And we take great encouragement in that. When we're weary, where are we going to go? <laughs> Who are we going to trust in? Well, we have good reason to trust in Christ. He has the words of eternal life. 
And then we need to pray and we need to support those saints who, as John, uh, Dr. Sproul would always say, there are those people, R.C. Sproul, I should say, he said, there are some people that just have, they seem to have a vocation of suffering. Their life is a life of suffering. And we know some people like that, don't we? And, and we, we need to be sensitive to them and seek to come alongside of them and to pray for them, to be a help to them, to show grace and mercy uh, to them. Here's the promise. Those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and they shall not be faint. May God in his grace enliven in us this hope that is ours, that has been won for us by Christ. Enable us that we would be people of faith, but people who are able to wait upon the Lord, quietly wait upon the Lord, even as Jeremiah speaks about here. All right, well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Our 